Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome inside the feral zone of the Troubled Men podcast. Operating under cover of darkness, I am Renee Komen. On the line with my guest co-host, the intrepid guitarist, composer, band leader, co-founder of the New Orleans Klezmer All-Stars, member of 007, has his own band, Naked on the Floor, as well as the Naked Orchestra, He's also the host of several of his own podcasts, as well as uh, being a music instructor and yoga teacher. Without further ado, the great Mr. Jonathan Freilich. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you for having me on the show. It's uh, the co-host, but I mean, I'll tell you what, that's a lot of, uh, that seems like a lot more than I ever get up to, but there you go. Yeah, well, well, it's it's over time. It's over over a whole career. So, yeah. but uh, I just want you know, you never know how how a listener is going to identify with somebody. So it's good to show as many uh, facets of a person as you can. Oh, so oh no! Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I like yoga. Fuck music, but I like yoga. Yeah, it so. feels good. I mean, I want to go over to the bar and you know say, hey, you know, like here's what I am. Right, right, exactly. Well, yeah, you know, I'm, I always like to make people feel good when they come on the podcast. You know, I don't have anybody that I don't like, so I, I, once they're on, I like to, you know, show all the cool things about them. Anyway, but uh, so welcome to the the second installment of the the Feral Zone. It's uh, the Feral Zone is kind of a sister podcast to the uh, the Troubled Men, and it's it's something that will appear in this space from time to time. Some things about it may be similar. Some things about it will be different. But uh, this is the second one we're we're doing here. Uh, the it's so the it's it's not the maiden episode. We've kind of been broken in already. We popped our cherry on the uh, feral zone number one with uh, Mike Dillon as the guest and Carlo Nucio as our uh, guest co-host. I'm glad I get in at special times on these things. I remember my troubled men slot was like the last week before COVID-19. It was, it was. And, and uh, yes, I looked that up. You were uh, on, on uh, episode like 91, I think. Yeah. And it was right before things started to lock down. And then you were one of the people that we got back for the, uh, the 100th episode. It was supposed to be a in-person party, but in fact, we, we did kind of a, uh, uh, party line uh, series of calls and and I, I believe we talked to you at that time and and uh, you were actually one of the maybe the first person that I that I knew personally who got the plague early on so I think you you came on and talked about that song no you got me confused with somebody else I didn't get the plague till this just this past September what yeah oh man well I'm definitely confused here that's okay know. Must be a, a, a different Jonathan Freilich. Um, well, so uh, so so, what have you been up to, Jonathan? Now I, I know at the beginning of of, of all this lockdown, uh, you had a, a a pithy quote about, yeah, you know, we're we're now we're just supposed to stay home all the time, and so I, uh, you know, I'm I'm on my sofa, I read, I practice, and uh, you know, I. I something else so pretty much like normal well you know and, and yeah it was I, actually it was that that part of the whole thing was kind of great I, I don't think i started to come unglued with uh with doing my own thing until about uh two months ago and then i think right after i right, right after i got the plague it started to get a little bit harder and i felt definitely like i better uh <laughs> it was you know, i started to run out of stuff that i really felt you know 
implored to do. But luckily, uh, I think it was the fact that a lot of gigs would start up, then the gigs would die, then the gigs would start up, then the gigs would die. It, again, it's getting to be fun again. I have a lot of very interesting uh, playing going on, not least of with which is playing with Mike Dillon, who was here last week. So I've been doing a bunch nice. of that. You know, you could go with James Singleton's band. So I spent a lot of time out there playing with James when he calls me. And uh, we've, we've done different things also under my name recently, you know, naked on the floor gigs and whatnot. And uh, even playing with uh, Dr. Sick. If you all know Dr. Sick, you probably had him up. I don't know him personally. I know him by reputation. Yeah, that's a pretty fun act. And uh, uh, yeah, that's a, that's pretty much been it. You know, other than my my foray into being a professional student again over at Tulane University, which is oh okay, really? God, you're one of those guys that that just loves uh, uh, continuing education. I, I admire you. I, I I couldn't wait to get out of school starting when I was about eleven. You know, I was that way too. And then I think these days it's just it, it's. I think continuing as a musician, just straight being a musician, it's like you have to come up with so many ways to keep being able to do it. And right. the academy, for better or worse, allows for certain kinds of work to continue that are they can be, you know, I mean, we go through stages. I mean, there was, there was adventurous times in New Orleans where you could really do whatever you want anywhere. And then now it's less so like that. So some of the more adventurous musical tasks, I, they give me an opportunity to do it when I'm in those places. Sure, sure, yes. Academia, it's a safe space for all of that. Yeah, you know, exactly. They don't, you know, because it's sort of, there's a constant through the changes, you know. Right, right. Well, that's that's great. I was going to say, so you're not sitting on the sofa anymore. I've been, uh, uh, you know, trying to, you know, have some contact with you this week, and I can tell you're a very busy guy, so that's that's exciting <laughs> to me. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, it is good. It's good to be busy. Well, you know, I, I want to get our, our guest in here early because uh, all this stuff is stuff that he can he can relate to, and we can all talk amongst ourselves. Sure. So, uh, so our, our guest, we have a fantastic guest. It's a his it's a return appearance for him as well. He was he was uh, way early on, like episode forty one or so. But he's a, a two time Tony Award winning actor and singer starred in a ton of great broadway shows fun home uh he was the original tommy on broadway uh, he's a star of stage and screen he's currently his 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 new series uh, the gilded age just premiered on monday on hbo and it's a terrific uh, period piece that i that i'm already in love with and uh, he's also uh, as i said a, a singer and guitar player and band leader has the band uh, loose cattle here in New Orleans, they uh, just put out a record last year, Heavy Lifting. That's a band he has, uh, kind of, it's an Americana or Americinda, as we like to say sometimes. <laughs> it's a band he has with Kim K, Kimberly K, and Rurik Noonan, and, and, and me, and Doug Arison from the Iguanas also. So without further ado, as I said, star of stage and screen, the great Mr. Michael Cerverus. Welcome, Michael. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. Man, and Michael, uh, it's when you say thanks for having you back, uh, I, I can only say uh, thanks for coming back because, uh, you know, I don't know if anybody has, goes back far, far enough in the, 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 uh, the troubled men orbit, but uh, your first appearance was, uh, was, it was epic for me in a sense. It was, it was, it was uh, the first time I ever had to call a guest after a show to apologize. <laughs> but not the last. It, that's the next line. It was definitely not the last. It was the first time I realized, oh, Jesus Christ, man, this is a lot of exposure for me. I just, I just figured, you know, this is just the way it goes uh, <laughs> well, in the troubled men world. 
Well, I, I got to say, you know, listening to that, the, the, the only takeaway that people can have is Michael Service is a fucking prince, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I think you always take a bigger chance than I ever do on my podcast. Because you know, my podcasts are, I don't have to supply the entertaining type feature. It's all just like sort of, you know, information exposure. So I never get in that thing where I have to apologize for having thrown a certain <laughs> there's no i'm never controlling the mood of the thing so you know like, yeah well necessary i'm not <laughs> yeah no you're not either, either are you, you know? so so you know i and and that was the first inkling that uh, of how things could could really go bad it was I'm, and i'm still not sure why it turned on, on that one why it pivoted at that point it's it's just something i like to bring to the party <laughs> I guess something you brought it out. <laughs> well, that's good, Michael. You blame yeah. yourself. I, I like that. That's, oh, I, always, I have that, that's that same impulse. You know, it's it's. Yeah, I, I have that impulse, and to me, I, I finally decided it's actually kind of um, egotistical. It's because it's it's the idea that I actually could control what other people do if I just behave in in the precise enough way. You know, it yeah. will because it's all about you. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, this locus of control that you know, some people they 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 never have that. They feel like they're out of control, like nothing. They're just a victim floating on the, right, yeah, on, on the sea of life. Yeah, I know those people too. <laughs> I mean, yes. I, this is good though, because you know, I, I'm listening to this and thinking, well, I have to hear that podcast now. What I got to check that episode. Yeah, if nothing else, this is a real great advertisement for going back to the early days yeah. of uh, <laughs> the Troubleman podcast. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's 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 uh it's it's evergreen. You know. It's, uh, <laughs> I also I also think it it looms a little larger maybe in in your memory than than it actually was, which may be partly a tribute to your editing skills. But you know. Well, yes, yes. It uh, it it start it it's yes it, it's. I think I, again, it's I'm I'm proud of it as a document, and you know, in many cases, uh, these things. I feel a certain way as I'm doing them. And then as, as a fan, once I have a little bit of a distance, I can appreciate it. You know, it's, uh, I'm not in the, the terror of the moment once I'm listening back after the fact. So it's, well, I'm, I'm, you know, you know, of both of you guys, I always, you know, I always thought it would be cool to, to be a, you know, a host of a, uh, you know, I used to sort of think of it in the, in the David Frost kind of, uh, you know, Dick Cavett sort of, thing but um right but these days you know that would be podcasts and i and i from time to time i think you know yeah that would be really cool i'd love to just like get people that i'm curious about and just have them you know sit and talk about all kinds of stuff but it's i think it's maybe like just below stand-up comic on the list of potentially <laughs> terrifying things that you can do with your time <laughs> Uh, and also irritating things that uh, you can you can do and and keep telling your friends about. And uh, yes, I, I almost wanted to to, to call this podcast uh, uh, Bernice Bob's her hair before I actually had it because because for so long I talked about having a podcast and never actually started one. You know, it could be that that thing that's a, an obscure uh, Fitzgerald reference for for all you literary folks which I'm not one it's, it's the one thing I remember from uh, high school literature is that story <laughs> anyway well something I had to, to, to talk about here up front is uh, I happened to stumble upon this this Neil Young and crazy horse uh, thing on YouTube it was them playing at the barn I guess a barn that Neil Young has 
pretty recent and super high quality thing, man. It's oh for the for that great. new barn record of his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's what it was, and it's like an hour and a half of of him and Crazy Horse playing. You know, Ralph Molina and and uh, and so and and uh, and I'm watching it, and well, first of all. Everybody is so old in, in the band, you know. You're, you're, you're looking at them, and and uh, you go, okay, it's the same band. And I'm going, who is that guy? Who's that other guitar player? God, man. And then after a while, I realize, oh, that's Nils Lofgren. <laughs> Jeez, you know, I always think of Nils as like kind of a boyish guy. Right. You know, I guess I'm, you know, thinking of the, the older records, but uh, but man, he looks like his his grandfather now. Huh. But. But uh, the the thing that struck me is how little everybody plays mm. in the band. You know, uh, like like Neil, of course, is always Neil. He's very demonstrative, you know, and he's playing electric guitar. He generates a whole, whole ton of sound. Right. But the bass player is playing like whole notes, <laughs> just all whole notes, and he'll play an occasional quarter note going to the next whole note. <laughs> And, and, you know, Ralph Molina's like hardly playing anything on the drums. He's playing like with blast sticks, so soft, or, you know, dr brushes at times. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's great. It's great the way they put that together. I mean, Neil Young's, that's his, been his style forever, you know, really just a kind of, right. drive, kind of minimalism, but with, with really strident sort of uh, expressive stuff out of him at the, on top of that, you know, I I think it's great. Yeah, just instantly them playing live, you know, but you're, you're looking at it, it's going, there's so much sound, and but then those guys are hardly doing anything. Mm. <laughs> They're just leaving all this space for him. And it's it's interesting, though, because I think when you hear, when when you do that and you leave more space like that, you have more, like you can hear more of the individual sound of what each person is doing, and that fills up more somehow mentally than... Sometimes, you know, you hear these super produced, like a million things going on and 12 guitars happening and, and it's, the effect is actually less because somehow right. you can't process all of it at the same time. I was listening today, I was um, listening to, uh, to the radio, to KRVS and they were playing uh, the birds, they were playing eight miles high and I was listening to the Tim McGuinn's 12 string part and realizing he does, you know, he just sort of does little arpeggios and little picked things, but not a lot of big 12 string strumming, which when you think about it makes sense because as soon as you start really strumming a lot, it takes up so much room, you know, with 12 strings ringing um, that it's actually much more sort of deliberate and selected. And, but, but your sense of it is, oh my God, there's a million harmonics <laughs> happening every time the birds play but it's it's much more kind of detailed and sparse than you think it is right well you know the, it is a zero sum game with the the oral field you know right. it's uh the 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 more stuff you put in it the smaller everything has to be yeah and that's and i was listening to it and thinking i gotta you know note to myself and remind myself that you know the next time we go in the studio to do stuff because my instinct is you know, oh, I got to like find lots of clever things and feel it's got to, you know, feel full and feel managed. But the things that I love listening to the most often are very selective and, you know, and and sparse like that. 
So, uh, so I, you know, it's my, it's always my, 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 my deal in conversation is to make trouble where these kind of things come up. Since Ronnie Spector just died and was married to Mr. Maximum stuff all the time and guitars strumming in the background, multiple guitars strumming in the background all the time, and the records also sound great. Right. How do you cope with that? Oh, well, it's just a, a different <laughs> a different animal for sure you yeah know? yeah I mean, it's, and, you know it's funny it could go either way you know it's not necessarily you know it's, but it's, it's the same the same oral field that we're talking about so it's it's so it is so interesting you know where you have four pianos that really don't sound like four pianos they sound like something you know and, yeah. and yet it's all you know that or you know this this very tiny rhythm section with of course neil takes up so much space playing electric guitar yeah you know, yeah his his convulsive you know yeah you didn't you didn't hear neil young on a lot of ronnie specter songs so you know maybe there's a reason yeah the, oh no it's definitely it's definitely <laughs> de definitely style is the important thing and the other reason i brought up is because if the style is to be minimal there's also incredible simple pop music that's entirely maximal that that's was yes. re really loaded with all kinds of stuff going on. But I, I think it's interesting because I, I always think this interesting thing about Neil Young is, well, there's that style like Crazy Horse does where he's really, you know, you're hearing wall of wall of one guitar with a mm -hmm. sort of background behind it of this of this kind of uh, uh, not no one being delicate, but everyone not doing much sort of thing. What, what goes on back there is very interesting because i think the other side of that is you know things like harvest moon and uh, harvest and all that where i think the minimalism is great because it gives an indication that he's playing in a kind of genre a kind of style without having to overdo it you know you could mm -hmm. just have little a very very little gesture in that direction you're like oh it's country right 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 not, yes it's not much that it's just just enough to give you that that idea that that's that, that that's the direction you know it's amazing uh -huh. just like like locating points or something it, yeah well but you know what i what i noticed about the the way the rhythm section plays is even though they're playing very simply ralph molina always plays the plays the the back beat with a with a lift you know he, he doesn't lay back into it he plays like right on it so it's it, it always has like a forward motion to it you know mm -hmm. it's, it's which when you're going to play that simply it's it, it helps you know because if you're just if you're really laying back into it and not generating much energy otherwise it would tend to 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 kill it you know yeah a lot of it a lot of it is about you know the the who's recording it and who's you know who's on the the controlling the audio end of stuff too i think um because you know like those those pop records and things that are so dense and have so much going on the ones that are really that really are successful and that you really kind of connect with i think tend to be the ones where there's somebody really brilliant putting that all together and putting stuff in in places so that it can be heard and and have an impact you know well sure yeah the, you know you, you could you could definitely screw that that stuff up but obviously neil is everybody you know it's it's like like with you michael everybody that gets involved in it is of, of a very high level because people want to be involved in in you know something with neil young or something with michael Cerberus. <laughs> You know, like like I noticed Michael during this, uh, and we should get to the the Gilded Age here in a minute. But 
but uh you know talking about lockdown and stuff you know you're you have this band loose cattle who uh uh you just released your first studio record uh this past fall right right yeah and that was something we started to record and well we recorded and, and mixed before the whole thing started yeah yeah it was uh it was supposed to be kind of just a you know quick kind of document of where you know where we were at that at that moment i think and certainly with no idea where we were about to be and uh and as we were doing it it really felt like it it all fell together really quickly you know we recorded it really quickly and um and we're ready to put it out also i think it was going to be time to come out right near the time when we were going to make our french quarter fest debut in uh-huh. 2020 and it was you know supposed to be kind of part of that and to be able to have a, a record out to say to people well if you like that here's what it is and uh um and then of course everything changed and it took us a long it didn't seem like it was the time to put it out when we'd planned to in april of 2020 right yeah i know i know a few people that, that went ahead and put records out and then later on they're like yeah it's kind of a mistake you yeah know? <laughs> It was, you know, it was hard to, I didn't know what I wanted to listen to at that time. And it changed over the course of the next year or so. And so trying to guess what people were going to want to hear and what kind of record was going to connect with people and when the record that you had, you know, was going to find an audience. So um, so we did hold on to it for a while. It g- gave us a little time to tinker with it a little bit, but we didn't really do a lot. It was more like tinkering with the what we were going to call it and how we were going to kind of present it. the The recording was pretty much done by that point, I think. Right, and that was a terrific experience. Uh, we recorded over there at uh, Marini Studio yeah. with the great Rick G. Nelson, who was a who was a, a, a guest on the podcast uh, since the time we recorded that, and he's he's always such a pleasure to work with. Yeah, he knows knows exactly what he's doing. I, I told him at the time. It's like uh, he 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 just does a great job as an engineer uh, until the band gets stuck, and then he'll say just enough to get the band going again. <laughs> you know, just yeah, just very precise uh, problem solving advice. Yeah, absolutely, loved it. But then during we we actually you were the loose cattle was pretty active uh, as as active as we could be during uh, the pandemic and and. Uh, we did a series of of kind of emailed uh, tracks, yeah. Where you know you would uh, cut the the guide vocal and guitar part to a click track. You'd send it to the drummer, Doug Garrison would put a part on it. You'd send those two to me. I'd put bass parts on, and uh, you know we came out with the, with a few really successful tracks from there. We did uh, 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 "Fear Is a Man's Best Friend." Yeah, that was mm-hmm. the first one. Yeah, and then. And then we did uh, Heroes after that, right? And um, yeah, and we had we had another couple planned, and you know, or or started, and and we'll have to to get back to those at some point. Um, and and we made videos even for them long distance, and with each of us sort of filming ourselves while we were recording, and and I I definitely like upped a lot of my skills in terms of uh, pro t- learning stuff to do in Pro Tools and iMovie and all that stuff. It was weird because in the beginning, my initial instinct when 
when lockdown happened because I was in New York when it first all started. And um, my instinct was to kind of withdraw immediately. I knew a lot of people who went into overdrive, like wanting to produce stuff and trying to figure out how to make content online and, and do all these Zoom performances and stuff. And, and I had the opposite reaction. I just wanted to kind of sit quiet and see, you know, and listen to myself and listen to the world around me and kind of uh, go to ground in some way. And then at a certain point, I just felt like I needed I needed to make something, not not even necessarily to put out into the world, but just to connect with with the rest of y'all, you know, the rest of the band, and um, and not feel so isolated and stuff, and and having those things to work on with all of you was a real helpful way through some really dark days, you know, just to to have that as a project with with the emphasis being on just on the making something and not really worrying about what you're going to do with it because who knew what kind of world you were even trying to put something into, you know? Sure. Just, just to have the purpose yeah. and, 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 and not just make work, but feel like, wow, this is really something cool we're doing here. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was different for us stylistically and certainly a different way of working and stuff, but it was, it was really cool you know and i think it i think in some ways it started to kind of set us a little more in a slightly different direction coming out of it that we've been kind of going into now and you know now we're writing more of our own stuff and and looking forward to making another record sometime this year hopefully right yeah i was i was i was gonna say man michael you you've definitely been on a a hot streak of of writing some some great original material man, oh, thanks, and, man. And, and we do we do already have a really good start on on a whole another record's worth of stuff but this what what made me think of this is we're talking about how you know people want to be involved with with something and and like those those uh recordings that we did like you had uh, uh jay gonzalez from uh from, from uh, drive-by drive truckers. truckers yeah played played on, on a bunch of that stuff and and Man, that guy's fucking terrific, man. I, I Yeah, have you have you heard his solo records at all? I I have not, but you know, uh, you you invited me to see them at uh, see that show at Tipitina's. Yeah, yeah. And I was knocked out, man. The whole band is great, but and and Jay is terrific, man, from you know, all the guitar stuff he does, all the keyboard stuff he does. He's is uh what a fucking talent. Yeah, man. he's just like nonstop. I wanted to ask some questions here about exactly what the material is and how you did it. But uh, so, if you did that recording, you were saying the, the one that you did recently with the loose cattle. Were those older songs? No, they were they were covers. Actually, we did the the first one was "Fears a Man's Best Friend." This uh, John Cale cover. Um, I think I don't know. I think I just like ran across it, it's, like maybe on my my. Uh, phone on shuffle or something and I just heard it and I thought oh my god that's kind of like <laughs> that is exactly where we are right now of the moment yeah. like fear we had to stay away from each other that's your best friend yeah. you know, to, right exactly um, and then the heroes was uh, you know the cover of the David Bowie song and that was that was actually it, it I think 
that was for a benefit thing for a, a charity in New York, like a music charity uh, thing. So, um, and I don't remember if they asked for that song in particular, or it just seemed like the right thing to do at the time. But um, uh, and then we we were working on Grandma's Hands too, and I think that came out came about because of uh, um, when Bill Withers passed away. Um, so yeah, so those those were things. Those were just covers. I, that at that point, I wasn't able to write anything. I was thinking, and I had heard other people talking about, you know, oh, I'm writing so much now, and there's so much to write about. And I was just like, I don't have a creative thought in my head. Um, yeah, I need to start with somebody else's thing and sort of figure out what our version of it is. That was kind of the most I was capable of then. It's funny. I, I, and so, and now, have you? Do you think you you're attacking stuff like the or attacking? I hate this word. Do you think you're approaching stuff like or doing doing things that are more about what's going on, or, or are you still looking for covers and stuff that are? No, no. I mean, the stuff that we're doing now, the original stuff, is absolutely kind of responding more to what's going on. You know, either politically, culturally. I think there's been a lot more of that in the writing now and um and you know to be honest drive by truckers which is you know one of my favorite bands they are very much about that kind of you know taking taking southern rock into areas that it hasn't always traditionally gone and um and i really admire patterson hood and uh and mike cooley their main songwriters for the the ways they they do that and and i think that's been informing a lot of what what we've been doing and it doesn't I, I i have a couple pieces of things sometimes that that are not you know so overtly political or whatever but um but they still i i feel like it's responding to something about you know the solitude or or the separation from people or you know the the disappointment in my <laughs> in too many of my fellow country persons um i i am definitely finding that uh i'm not writing so many songs about my feelings at the moment or you know that kind of thing it's it's more uh it's trying to say something even if i'm not sure what it is exactly and yeah. i'm also trying to write some uh more for for kimberly who's our you know my co-band leader and um and has such a fantastic voice and such a is such a kind of focal point for for us on stage because you know without her we're just a bunch of dudes and bunch uh, of dudes yeah <laughs> and you know and she's just compelling as a person and as a singer and so I'm trying to kind of give her more and more voice in the in the band and whether it's me writing stuff for her or me sort of writing stuff and and trying to get her to contribute lyrically or or melodically and stuff to it um that's a lot of of what we're trying to do now too i think mm -hmm. so and uh renee let me ask a question mm -hmm. let me ask you a question because you're on these oh, things and okay. 
Oddly enough, I was listening to the record earlier that you did with Will Sexton with the uh, with the with the iguanas thing that I hadn't heard, but it was sitting there. Oh yeah, don't walk the darkness. Isn't that a fucking fantastic record? Yeah, yeah, really great. But you know, and I and you were on. I know you. Were, <laughs> yeah, yeah, really great. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Well, my point. Wow. <laughs> wait, wait a second. Actually, the thing is, I, what, I, what I didn't want to do is get caught up in which record. But you're on so many with so many different kinds, especially of songwriters. I mean, the iguanas, of course, you know, uh, and and. But uh, but a lot of these things, even I know you were on one last week as my friend Ben Elman, of course, who showed up on the show a few times or once. But, uh, you know, um, I'm wondering how you approach these things or how you get an idea in your head. I mean, like we were talking about Neil Young's band, but how you get an idea in your head about these songs or differential ways that bands differentiate themselves by what you play, because it's it's a cornerstone. A lot of the structure of these songs is not, you know, I mean, you simple chord formations and stuff. I'm not saying that necessarily with this, but it can be like that. But how do you mm. go about approaching the sort of thing we were talking about with Neil Young? If you have a band, if you're in a new project like that or any project in which it's you're portraying people's songs or something like that. I mean, how do you go about that? Um, to these days, you know, and, and for a good long time now, I just try to, uh, to have a very, uh, as emotional a response as I can have to, to what's going on and, and to be as connected as I can and, and, you know, play in a way that, that supports what's going on with the song, but, but do it from a place of my pure emotional response. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a, like I was thinking about, you know, when I when I studied with with Ellis Marcellus, one of his things was, yeah, listen to bass players, but listen to, to horn players too, you know, like that's, you know, listen to some other instrument that's not your own. That way, you know, when you filter that back through the the, the instrument and the necessary functions through yourself and your your personality, then you'll come up with something unique that's yours, and and. You know, looking back, I think I actually did that, and and I, in certain respects, I play like myself. You know, I don't play like every other bass player, and that's can be good. And some people really like it, and some people are like, yeah, I don't, I don't get it, man. You know, <laughs> you, could you play like a bass player, please? <laughs> well, no, I mean, and I, I for sure do that, but uh, you know, so with some people, I, I, I don't know. You know, everybody has a, a different currency as a player that they trade in, and. For me, it's it, these days. It's it's uh, you know emotionalism and and you know presence and tone and I don't know if I'm answering the question, uh, Jonathan. But that's uh, really that's really interesting. It's a great question, I think, Jonathan, and and it's really interesting to hear you talk about it too. And it is it's such a it's such a weird thing. I I was thinking this constantly watching the Beatles Get Back documentary thing and watching them, you know construct stuff and it's a weird thing just putting a bunch of people who over time know each other but you know figuring out what your contribution is and figuring out you know what you have to add and what your you know what your ownership of what the result is you know some people like if you're a session guy maybe you just kind of walk in and like yeah i'll just do whatever and I'll probably never listen to this again and I'll never see these people again and whatever to, you know, the person who feels like a full member of what's going on and feels a real stake and wants to, you know, argue their points when 
when something's being made. You know, it's, right. it's really it's really kind of fascinating to me. Well, you know, coming in as 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 like a just doing a session on somebody else's, and you may not see that person again. But you know, uh, for me to sleep at night, I have to feel like I, I did something that I'll be proud for someone to hear, and not just because it's technically, uh, you know, I, I didn't play with any mistakes, right. but uh, that that there's actually something there. You know, I did something. I'd say, yeah, that's you know. Uh, I don't know. You 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 always try to do that, Jonathan. I mean, you're a guy that plays a million sessions, and well, how do how do you uh, you know approach playing with all these different artists? Uh, you know, I, I think that in a lot of ways, I play in such a strident uh, style, and uh, that in a, in a way like that, that, generally I get called and don't have to think about it much because if they called me, it the way people have usually seen me is in such a sort of. Um, in a sense, I don't want to say over the top situations, but situations where I really am not concerned about what the references between what I'm doing and anything else that is going on. Contextually, I don't have to worry about that. And usually people have seen that. They're not usually hiring me as a kind of job guitar player, even though I can do a lot of that. And so people are familiar with that. But I, that's not the call I get. So almost all the time I'm getting called to play the way that I just the way that I play the most naturally. Is is that what you felt on the the Peter Stample record that that we both did out with Mark? Uh, for sure, because Mark, I've, I've worked with Mark so for so long and so many years, as I'm sure you have. That you know he and he's got Mark Bingham. You're speaking Mark of, Bingham, right. Right. and he's got such a large stable of people now. And and as I said, I think Mark is extremely judicious about how he selects people. And right. in that case, he's he he knows that I'm, I know how to put the music together. But he's going to look for me to be treating it that way because he was, if he was looking for somebody that maybe was concerned more about um, realities of style or form or, or the regular ways of looking at those things, I think there's other people he would have called first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. But on the other hand, there was a, in a case like that, another thing is he's looking at bat- body of knowledge. In one case, hey, I've been a fan of Peter's and, and learn and, and all of that folk world that he came out of very early and i learned a lot of those guitar styles so when peter early on in the recording process for that record when you know you know when we started that whenever that was 20 years ago um <laughs> i was i yeah i was on were it. you were you playing on it way back then yeah early? yeah i had already no I mean, by, by the time <laughs> by the time we got to the new thing i had already played about 60 songs but this is like a long time ago wow and man. you know and and part of that was i you know mark i i you know i know all these weird things like you know gary davis and folk styles and things like that that i knew that like what can and he was asking can you do that on top on top of this and peter liked it because he loves that music and so it kind of worked a lot and also we had to work fast there's a lot of songs and i think you know being able to treat it that way so i think at that time it was a little bit different it started off that way but it was 20 years go by you know and and so i think it, it, it started to shift like exactly i think it's that i think it's that now mark knows i have an underlying reference but he's looking for me to not do something exactly like that there's other people he call Right, if, if he he calls you to to come do the Jonathan thing. Come put the Jonathan on this. Pretty much, I you know, and, and that's that's generally the way it is. No, that's not always the way it is. Like like I said, if I get called now for things like Doctor Sick, although although I'm not sure I can really help it anymore. And I also don't think I think when you're talking about emotionalism in music, like it's really important to me that everything is super emotional. I I'm looking to cut through 
all anything that's blocking my energy, I'm looking to iron that out, remove it out of the way, rearrange it the way that I want immediately so that that's not blocked. And if people don't like it, I don't care because I don't think I can serve the situation well without being able to be moving at my sort of maximum energy in any mm -hmm. situation. So I don't want any of that to be blocked. And if it's not the right situation or it doesn't come out, it's, you know, life is short and it's, you know, we're all getting yes. older. So the gist of doing things where you can't maximize what, what, you know, what you've learned about yourself and your energy doesn't. It, it's it, a waste of time. It does. Yes. Yeah. What's the point? So, so I tend to be very quick to do that. And I really have been for, for, for a long time, I think. And, but there's a volatility in that. I don't think it's a very calm position and it's shifting all the time. And, and, and my reaction to the necessity of doing that means that I, I can be doing very strange things anytime, even by my own projection. <laughs> uh, but that's the way it goes. You kind of watch it go that way. So that's what I'd say about that. But, you know, but at the same time, I mean, I study music like, you know, very seriously. I just am not an imitator. And, I, and I'm looking for there. I'm looking for what the I'm, I'm looking for very, very sort of, you know, how I can reduce things down to almost a caveman level of stuff that I can then express things over. You know the essence, and I don't want to. I don't want to screw people's stuff up. It's not like that. Like I'm not trying to sabotage anything. I'm very. I'm really also concerned because if you play with people, you know, really, you're in the world of their dreams, and I would never want to wreck anybody's dreams. Yeah, no, you want to. You want to give them the real shit so they can see just how great their dreams could be. Yeah, and also you don't want to disturb that. You don't want to like shit on their dreams. So a lot of it is like you know you're sort of trying to keep that. You know what I mean? It's like I try to be very very sensitive to that too because it's a place, you know, so people understand that the music is a place where that level of emotion is going for them. You know, you don't really want to, you know, run it that way. So it's you know it's it, but that but that sort of thing. I've gone around that a long way. I don't know if I've answered the question too well. Well, you know, Jonathan, uh, uh, all the greats that we've had on the podcast, if you, if you ask them, uh, you know, what's, what's the most important thing about playing music? Just, just one after another, they always say, play like yourself. Uh -huh. Don't be the, the, the second best guy who plays like somebody else. Play like yourself. That's, that's your best bet. And uh, on that note, uh, it seems like a good time to uh, take a little break here and uh, refresh our, our drinks, uh, get another cup of coffee, Jonathan, uh, whatever it is anybody's doing. Uh, the nation knows what to do, so we'll be right back. My dog, she's a hungry girl, best damn dog in the whole damn world. Go walking in the neighborhood, get to the corner and it's understood. Nose to the ground cause you know she'll find Something tasty been left behind Is that sidewalk chicken? Sidewalk chicken A finger licking Sidewalk chicken You know it's freezy, you know it's no good Know when you're done, well it's understood That sidewalk chicken Sidewalk chicken. Sidewalk chicken. Sidewalk chicken. 
and we're back. Back with Mr. Jonathan Fralick. I am Renee Coleman. Back with our guest, Mr. Michael Cerverus. Hi there. Now, uh, I'm sure you guys, uh, I know, I know you listen to the podcast and so I, I know you're, you, you know about our, our, uh, our struggles with, uh, sponsorship and, and, uh, you know, the ups and downs of, uh, the corporate world, but, uh, we're, we're back to, or keeping it on ground level these days, you know, we're back to, uh, listeners, listener supported. Yes. Yes. So, uh, but we're, we're entering the, uh, the. 21st century and that i finally got a, a, a troubled men podcast venmo paid so wow. it's, it's no it's no longer restricted to people that have paypal accounts which from what i understand is all of us old people the young people are all about the venmo so <laughs> so uh so we we now have a uh a venmo account it's a you know a troubled dash men it's the Venmo account, and we have a PayPal account, and that's the links to those are in the show notes of every show and on our Facebook page. And we we like to say uh, Loose Change is our sponsor. <laughs> Loose Change can be found anywhere from your pants pockets to uh, the the floorboard of your car to even your daughter's room or your <laughs> wife's purse. And, uh, so, so feel free to, uh, to pass to that along. To read all those places. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any and all of those places. And, uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, uh, week in and week out, uh, I know that most of you are not supporting us week in and week out cause I see the numbers. So, but, uh, <laughs> but feel free to break that trend at any point. And we point have your addresses. Jump in there and, uh, you know, uh, become a part of the process. You know, you want to, you don't want to be part of the problem. You want to be part of the solution. Right, Michael? Absolutely. Okay, so uh, so yes, we have those, and and uh, also if you're enjoying the the podcast, go ahead and subscribe to uh, the Troubled Men podcast uh, with its uh, its sister subsidiary podcast, the Feral Zone. Listening to right now, I know I do. Yes, yeah, right on, Michael, right on. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, follow Michael's good good example and subscribe also uh rate us give us five stars and a review you could even say you know fuck manny and renee five stars that's cool we like those, <laughs> we, we like those kind of reviews um, uh see what else uh, yes uh, tell your friends uh, follow us on social media follow the uh the trouble men podcast facebook page and and uh twitter account and uh and the instagram the Instagram, yes, and and you know, if people that 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 want to see what gigs I'm playing, want to see when I'm playing with with Michael Serverus and, and and Loose Cattle, you can look at the Renee Coleman Facebook page because um, those gigs don't show up on the Troubled Men page, but I, I put everything on on the Renee Coleman Facebook page as well as uh, a live stream of almost every gig I play. So you're you're kind of becoming your own Truman Show, just kind of like just well, you just film yourself <laughs> all the time. <laughs> oh, Michael, Michael, Michael! This, this, this generating this one one hour a week takes all the rest of my week. So, I don't know. I'm gonna need more of a crew. I have to get Jonathan on on full time. Um, well, you know, and and I have to mention that uh, I don't. You probably don't know this, Michael, but before I ever started this, I knew I wanted to do it. And you're probably familiar with this book, uh, uh, The War of Art. Um, no. So the war of art, it's it's a you know it's a play on the the art of war. Right. But the the war of art, it's all about. I, I haven't read it, but I know what. <laughs> I've I've lived <laughs> it, but I've lived it. 
one of one of the general uh, aspects is they, they talk about resistance. You know, anytime you want to do something, you'll you'll always put up internal resistance. All the reasons why right. it's going to be hard. You're going to fail. You know, it's it's right. anyway. So I had that for a, a long time, a year or so, and finally I, I realized that this was going to haunt me if I didn't go ahead and do it. So I reached out to Jonathan, who has had a podcast. When did you start your first podcast, Jonathan? About 2010, I think. Okay. And he's, he's a real whiz with all this stuff, all the computer stuff. And, uh, and he was so generous and you know, showed me all this stuff and solved some problems for me. And, and I remember at that time, as I was leaving your house after you'd kind of ironed some problems, out, I said, yeah, I'm still kind of apprehensive about you know, getting in trouble for something I might say. And you're like, ah, you know, Renee, you just got to go ahead and say it. And well, as it turns out, I've said way worse stuff than I ever imagined. And no, <laughs> nobody cares. That's the thing. Nobody gives a fuck. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, especially if they're familiar with you, then it's, then it's even well, more like, <laughs> they've been inoculated yes yes it's uh, like like smallpox small doses over time yeah exactly yeah, yeah it's like oh, that's just renee you know and look that's really part of my process it's like the the people that see that and then still want to hang around i call them friends and everybody else you know, it's, a, it's a way of weeding weeding people out anyway so uh so i know you have some stuff coming up jonathan anything you want to plug well, you know, I mean, I got, I, I'm starting up with my uh, sort of weekly gigs are starting up again. Actually, that's interesting because I didn't do that kind of thing for many, 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 many years. But now I'm back to, you know, I have a weekly with Washboard Chaz Blues Trio over at the Blue Nile on Saturdays at six, which I like to do. And uh, one of my favorite ones is uh, Joe Cabral and I play at Starlight, but Starlight is in a new place now. It's where the cellar door was in the CBD on Lafayette Street. And we're, Starting back up with our regular Thursdays uh, from eight to eleven at uh, at uh, over there at um, at what is the new Starlight and um, I love that show because we have that, I mean that particular gig because we have a special guest a different guest every week mm-hmm. and uh, really amazing people that you know that we both know over the years and uh, and and it all it always. It always is something really great and really different every time. I, 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 I'm so I, I very much enjoy that that particular gig. And then we have a plethora of Klezmer All Stars stuff coming up because it's Mardi Gras. Right. And uh, and Julu, we're going to be marching in the Julu parade. Well, I'll, I'll be uh, splitting it between Julu and you know uh, you know one of my uh, one of my exes that I'm still very good friends with is also the M- the the uh, the, the uh, Grand Marshal for the uh, for Hart McNeese old parade there the saint cecilia parade so i think i have to check out some of that and uh and um but uh so we have the klezmer gig of that day on of course on the yes the drew at at the end of the drew and all this is on your uh, website what is that uh, jonathanfraylick.com i'm terrible at this you know but lately i've really got into doing funny flyer things so a lot of it is on instagram because i gave up you know it's facebook does i use facebook but really i just send it automatically from instagram my website, I have to get back to dealing with that uh, because I, I never update the dating on there. I, I, tend, I tend to post the podcasts and other random uh, information and thinking, but I, I'm, I've been very bad about putting my shows up there. Uh, okay, so but they can follow your Instagram account and find out about all your Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's even a lot of 007 gigs coming up. People actually like that band. We've been sh- shuffling. Uh, I'll say that like they don't like the other bands, but a lot of people like 007. <laughs> <laughs> Pop- popular band, yes. Popular with, uh, yeah, so. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so, so that kind of thing, yeah. 
Excellent. Well, uh, and Michael, I'll throw it to you. Uh, you know, I, I know you have uh, a, a loose cattle website. And, uh, yeah, there's a loose cattle website. We're we're pretty active ish on uh, on Instagram at uh, at loose cattle band and Facebook. I think is just at loose cattle. Um, and we've got a Bandcamp uh, page for all of your your streaming and ordering actual physical vinyl copies of records um there and uh and we've got like we've got a youtube page i think that has a lot of our uh videos and stuff um also a vimeo page but you can also access all that through the um loose cattle band uh website which of course we had to make loose cattle band because if you just go searching for loose cattle you get a lot of videos of loose cattle (laughs) which you know I think I did a search at one point when we were thinking of different names for the record, and I think I did a uh, search before we'd put the record out that was just loose cattle heavy lifting, and it, it turned up a video uh, from like, Norway <laughs> of this apparatus that's that's designed for lifting down down cattle to like lift them up in the air when you need to. So there you go. If you need, yeah, if you, yeah. and if that's what you're looking for, that's where you find it. <laughs> So and, and and the Gilded Age is a lot more underground. How do people find out about that? I'm just well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, thank yeah, you, John, please, we're, we're trying to keep it, it, trying to keep it real quiet. <laughs> okay. Right, right. Right. Sorry. Right. Well, I was gonna say. Well, well, Michael, uh, you know, your, your your acting career is finally heating up here. You know, it's finally <laughs> thank after God after a long hard road. Well, actually, can we before can we build up to this? Because I, I like to not just jump right in. You know, is uh, there's this great. Uh, movie i think it was uh paul newman it's called the drowning pool and uh it's filmed in lake charles louisiana i love that movie it's you know that movie? oh god yeah I- uh, <laughs> so <laughs> i was gonna say so alex shelton also loved that movie and and he and i just bonded over it that we'd both seen it and he goes yeah i love that sheriff he he goes he's talking and he goes yeah you know some people like to get their fun straight on Around here, we like to kind of sneak up on it from the side. <laughs> yeah, it's a really, it's a great one. If you know, if you know this, I, I know what I'm watching tonight. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's a good one, man. It's a like classic uh, print of I don't know what uh, Ektachrome or you know whatever Panavision, right. but it's got that that 1973 uh, saturation. Mm. It's like, very cool. Nice. Somewhere 73, 74, yeah. somewhere around there. Um, anyway, so so I wanted to say, uh, Michael, let's uh, find out a little bit about you. Okay. Um, so you you uh, you come from where? Not New Orleans. I know that. No, uh, I grew up in West Virginia, in Huntington, West Virginia. Hmm. Okay. Well, you know, Michael, I've said this to you before. I said, Michael, you may be from West Virginia, but you're not of West Virginia. And and then wait, I'm, I'm, I have some more to go okay. along. With that. <laughs> okay. And and that's for several reasons. But I, I have to say, but before you explain that that statement. Uh, I have to now say I actually do see that there's plenty of hillbilly in you. So. <laughs> Knowing me now as you do. Having gotten to know you better, yeah, yeah, there's, there's definitely, you didn't escape. You can take the boy out of the mountains, but you can't take the mountains out of the boy. Right, right, right. But your family doesn't go back generations in West Virginia. Your your parents met where? I like this answer. They they met at Juilliard. My, yes, they did. My dad was <laughs> from Pittsburgh and my mom was from Pittsfield, Mass. So And they, they met at Juilliard. 
Uh-huh. And, and they were, were in West Virginia as academics, correct? Right. My dad was teaching at Marshall University, and, uh, and my mom was teaching dance as well. And your father's a musician, right? He's like a, a conductor and stuff, right? He's Yeah, he's a classical pianist and, and was a piano instructor and chairman of the piano department at Duke and uh, Marshall and Alverno and Arizona State, uh, Arizona West, ASU West. Um, and, uh, and then also was really sort of groundbreaking and developed a lot of these interdisciplinary arts programs at, at a bunch of the colleges that he worked in, sort of incorporating all the arts into uh, programs designed for people who wanted to do kind of Philip Glass opera type performances that were multidisciplinary in nature. So I think that's kind of where I got a lot of my idea that that you didn't have to just be one kind of artist. You could be interested in lots of things and, and the confluence of a lot of different things. And, you know, it's either schizophrenia or, you know, a, <laughs> a very broad idea of creativity, I guess. Well, it's nice to be able to switch it up to where you don't get bored. I mean, don't you think one thing uh, kind of informs the other? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I totally feel like my my doing stuff with the band and doing stuff with music absolutely feel, feel, fuels and informs my acting work and vice versa. Right, right. So so your parents are there in West Virginia as academics and, and you're their child and so you're you're in the, the hills and you know you got dirt between your toes <laughs> at the same time there's uh you know Wagner on the stereo and, and uh it's this, this kind of a uh, an interesting uh contrast in your in your upbringing, don't you think? Yeah, it is. And it's I mean, of course what what in the same way that people have a very specific idea of what somebody from Louisiana is and, you know, who somebody from New Orleans is if they've never been down here, people have real specific ideas about what people from West Virginia are like. And there are plenty of people who, you know, who kind of live up to the, those people's idea. Um, but there's also, just as there is here, um, so much more to that state and and so much more variety of... Uh, experience than you know than than you think there is, and, sure. and you know. But even given that, yeah, my family was kind of like a weird fish out of water right. in, the mid, in the middle of of Huntington. But but you guys weren't getting bricks through your windows like uh, like uh, uh, Mark Rubin was in Oklahoma as a Jew, right? As a, an intellectual in West Virginia, they weren't uh, they weren't burning crosses. On your, Not on your at that head. time, but this was you know sort of like you know <laughs> late late sixties into the seventies, so things were a they little cooler. Now. You know, we, they're, they're doing that now. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't been back in the last couple of years, but you know, uh, okay. it does seem like it's a little trickier. I know I know a lot of people though. You know, West Virginia has always actually been. A, a really progressive place in a lot of ways in terms of like the labor mu movement and right. a lot of other stuff. And a lot of people in the sixties who, who wanted to avoid the draft, but didn't want to go to Canada fled up into the Hills and started communes in West Virginia, figuring mm. accurately that nobody was going to find them up there. And, and so you have all these, you know, kind of counterculture hillbillies sort of coexisting with the, the locals and stuff. And, and even today, there are a lot of, in fact, maybe even more so today, I have a lot of friends back there, um, not necessarily my generation, but but generations after me, that uh, 
that are really sort of doing heavy lifting uh, work for a lot of more progressive causes. And it's, it is a lot more work down there, but it, people would be surprised yeah. how much is going on there. Interesting. So you're there in West Virginia, but uh, somehow you you uh, you escape to to Exeter. Yeah, <laughs> you wind up graduating from from Exeter Academy, which is you know what the top two top high school in the in the country. Yeah, it's it's funny. You know, uh, I did I worked a little while ago on a record with Lily Lewis again through Mark Bingham because all roads go through <laughs> Mark Bingham. And uh and we were discovering that we have so much so much of our, you know, our trajectory we have in common. She, you know, she I can't remember where she was from exactly, but I feel like she kind of grew up in the church in the in a whether it was in the south or the northeast, I don't recall exactly. But um and then she also went to Phillips Andover, which is the other of those two schools. Okay. And then I think she went to Harvard, maybe, and now she's found her way back down here and is doing music and stuff. And um, so it was it was so nice. And you know, and she's a queer black woman, and and I am none of those things. Mm-hmm. And uh, but to, it was really great getting to know her and discover that I wasn't the only weirdo that sort of went this this route and found themselves here right now well well so then you then you went to to yale you're a yale graduate and and uh now was that in in acting or what was your what was your study there well yale didn't have and i i don't i think it's still true to this day but they didn't have an um an undergraduate theater department there was it was a divisional major in the humanities because I think they didn't consider theater a sufficiently academic discipline. So, so my degree is actually in the humanities with an emphasis in theater studies. But I did a lot of theater there. But I, it was it was essentially a you know a, a BA you know academic uh, study. Now, when you were a student there. Uh, the your others your peers as students did you have a, most of the people from the northeast that you were in school with or yeah that was that was the thing I mean I I trying to think if there were any people that I kind of there certainly were no other West Virginians that I knew there um, now, did you feel like a hillbilly um, at that time you know going into that uh, you know New Haven the, the whole that whole milieu oh yeah I felt I felt like a complete you know any minute now they're gonna figure out that you know <laughs> yeah I've got shoes in my own teeth but you know <laughs> that's that's they're gonna know that I'm not really from here and I and I did feel kind of like well I should you know I'll get invited. I'll get to have the, like the Gatsby kind of experience, and I'll I'll uh-huh. know those people, and I'll get invited out on boats and and all that kind of stuff. And it never really happened. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't meet the Brett Kavanaugh's and you know those people. And I'm very happy in most cases <laughs> that I didn't. But I and I sort of felt like I I kind of think that they just know. That I just am, I don't belong. And whether it was, I don't know that I had a, a big, you know, really heavy West Virginia accent because I wasn't hearing it at home so much. But I do know that when I came home for the first time from, I can't remember, it was, must have been Exeter, I guess, and used to have to fly to DC and then take a little, like, you know, 
two-seater prop plane from DC to Huntington. And and I noticed after being away for, you know, however many months I was in my first my first time, um, all of a sudden all the people down in the in the airport lobby in DC who are all now going to West Virginia, so it was all West Virginians, all of a sudden everybody had an accent and I didn't I didn't remember like I didn't hear an accent with my friends at home. That was uh-huh. just how everybody talked. And it was the first time I'd lived away for a length of time from that accent. And and that was the first time I kind of recognized it as a regional difference. And 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 it was weird. It took me I mean, once I left West Virginia, went to school, and then my career kind of took me all over the place in my early days as an actor, but I still was usually based out in New York. So it was a long time before I really spent uh, a considerable amount of time back below the Mason-Dixon line. And and it, it really took me a long time to realize just how Southern I am and I feel because I, I sort of went to the Northeast and immersed myself in these, you know, very ivy leaguey places and even though i didn't feel like i really was part of it i you know i went to those schools i graduated from those places um and it was a long time before i realized how much of my makeup actually was was built in in the south yeah it's 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 hard to outrun your past yeah absolutely (laughs) Well, uh, speaking of past, uh, let's get into uh, the, the the present about the past, and that's uh, that's your terrific new uh, period show, The Gilded Age, which just premiered on HBO this past Monday. Right. It's so exciting, Michael. I've been excited about. I I, I know you've been excited. I've been ex- I've been waiting to see it. It's it's huge sets uh amazing uh, uh amazing uh, costumes uh amazing time period you, tell us a little bit about the the gilded age michael well this is a new series from julian fellows who was the creator and writer of downton abbey and um i mean it's way way oversimplifying to just call it downton abbey comes to new york but it in a sense that you know people who come to it thinking that won't be disappointed. Um, it's set in New York City in 1882, and it's the essential kind of conflict is between the old New York and the new New York, the the families that have kind of run society and access um, in New York since 1600 or earlier um, versus the rising Aravista uh new industrial class and um and there are two families who live across the street from each other that represent each of those worlds and they have their their own upstairs and downstairs kind of uh stories going on and then into this mix comes the niece of the old new york uh family and she arrives in new york with a uh black companion who she's sort of randomly uh been been thrown in together with through a, a twist of fate on their travels. Um, mm-hmm. So you also that's that's the way the show is is finding a a, a window into the world of uh, the black experience at that time in our country. And what's fascinating about so much of this show is that 
that time period, just you know, not long after the Civil War, and and uh, um, and just at the moment that electric light is coming to New York in 1882, um, and and the world is you know the country is turning from an agrarian uh, economy to an industrial economy, and and you know progressivism is really on the rise in terms of uh, women's issues and labor issues. Um, um, the whole story of that time period, the Gilded Age, is really the foundation of so much of what we are dealing with now. And uh, and it's fascinating. It's really, they've taken great pains to be historically accurate and entertaining at the same time. And they've taken uh, great pains to really put women's stories and the African-American experience uh, in the foreground in as, as faithful and accurate a way as they uh, can, um, which I think is the thing that makes it most distinct from Downton Abbey. Um, and yet you've got all of these amazing period costumes and these gorgeous sets. And we filmed a lot in Newport and the actual you know mansions up there. And um, it's just got kind of a little bit of everything, it seems. Yes, it's 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 really uh, dazzling to the eye, and it's got a, a million characters. And uh, I love your character. He's 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 uh, you know the, the in the downstairs of uh, the the uh, the nouveau riche. So it's, uh, yeah, the valet of of the of the big industrialist. Right, there's a lot of intrigue, and then they're just the 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 first episode they're winding all these these stories up like a whole bunch of watches yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great image and it's exactly what it's like and it's, you know by the end of the episode everything is ticking right yes i love it uh yes it's it's so so you guys produced this during lockdown or yeah man that was that was one of the most amazing things we were we i was just looking through some photos the other day um we the the week that that broadway ended up shutting down was when we started to do we had our first big meetings with the whole company which is like you know 50 actors and all kinds of heads of departments and stuff and we had the the table read of the first six episodes i think that had been written at that point and it was just at that place where you know we were being told to wash our hands for 20 seconds all the time and we weren't <laughs> people weren't wearing masks yet um but there was a lot of like oh do we shake hands i don't know i mean because usually yeah. those things are kind of like everybody's lovey lovey and it's and it was a bunch of actors who knew each other and you know from various things and everybody was really excited and the covid was just this kind of vibration somewhere a little outside of the real world at that moment it seemed and then by the end of that week everything we were supposed to start shooting a week or two after that and suddenly everything was stopped and you know we all know the story from there right i, w I was thinking of it as like the the mask of the red death ball totally. and some things that i did where you know like we're we're here inside we know it's raging outside it seems safe in here but it's probably uh moving uh you know silently death yeah. is stalking <laughs> the room exactly exactly what it was like and um and so <clears throat> you know we sat around uncertain like everybody else for a long time um but HBO was amazing. I mean, it helps to be, you know, working with a 
company with those resources and stuff. But they, for example, um, they paid the actors and I assume other, uh, you know, people involved in the production, they paid our salaries. They gave us, um, I think a quarter of our guaranteed salaries two different times. Once I think in April and once a little while later, um, as a way to help all of us survive through that time. And, uh, and also as a way to kind of like say, no, we are going to make this. I know it feels like the world's coming to an end, but Mm -hmm. no, this is still going to happen. We wouldn't be giving you money for something that we don't think we're going to make. And, and that was such a comfort and, and such a, you know, genuine blessing through that period. And then they also started immediately at the highest levels, figuring out and talking to doctors and hiring on health professionals to give them the first kind of information about what are you going to need to do and change about the way your industry works to be able to actually go back to work. So that they they created a set of policies and things before there even were instructions from the government. And they wrote and met with state officials in New York and California. And what those governors ended up approving as the way for the film and television industry to go back to work was based on a lot of the work that they had done the, and they had HBO had The protocols that HBO had come yeah, up with. Yeah, right? exactly. Well, that makes sense. That in the the new thing, that's what the the way they want it to work is where well, you figure it out, we'll take it yeah, from you. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> can, yeah. Can you do it yourself? It's like self checkout. You know, yeah. it's like well, here's the here's the cash register. Can you just check yourself out? Yeah, exactly. Um, but so as a result, we were one of the first big productions to go back to work, and it was super cautious, and there were you know so many layers and levels, but they really did it well and there were you know there were a couple days when they had to pause for a little bit because there was a positive test that came back and but they were doing such careful contact tracing that they could they knew exactly who they'd have to isolate if that happened so that they Mm -hmm. could continue on and um you know and this is a massive production in every department and and it was in new york and rhode island and upstate new york and and we managed to film and they they were determined to still make the show that they planned to make without compromise. So they wanted it to, to be as grand a scale as possible. And so they had to figure out creative ways to use fewer extras and not just hire, you know, 200 people, but to find ways. And a lot of it involved technology too, find ways to, you know, paint people in when they didn't mm-hmm. have actual people. And um but you would never know. Like you watch it and you think, God, they, this must have been done before the pandemic because how could they possibly have done all this stuff? Yeah, yeah. It's it's the the scale that the thing is on is is amazing. Well, HBO seems like a like a a cool place, man. You know, I like that that of course the the programming they produce is incredible. Yeah. But I like that they have this this kind of stable of of actors that show up and. And uh, it's like a troop, you know, they'll show up in a different role yeah. and you're like, oh yeah, I like that person. You know, like Cynthia Nixon is in this one, <laughs> exactly. you know, it's like, oh, look, Cynthia Nixon, she's really good. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's like doing this and sex in the city at the same time, like sex in the city and then no sex in the city on our show. So it's uh-huh. sure. <laughs> very good. 
glad you got to use that one. Yeah, I've been I've been saving it, <laughs> keeping that one holstered. <laughs> but it's true, and I've been really lucky. I mean, I did I did Treme. I think was maybe the first HBO thing that I was part of, and uh, and then Mosaic, this Stephen Soderbergh thing that I did was also a HBO thing. So I'm uh, I'm happy to be part of the stable. And then uh, uh, the plot against America, wasn't right? That HBO. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, that was a that was a scary one. I'm not sure that that enough people saw that one as should have. They should definitely check that out. But uh, yeah, it's about the the idea of of uh, Charles Lindbergh running for president on a proto fascist uh, platform, and yeah. and uh, it's talk about very uh, which, which applicable happened. to yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was based on a, a Philip Roth novel that he'd written in 2004, I think, before you know anybody could have imagined what was going to happen in 2016. And it came out early on in the pandemic. I think it was like April when the pandemic had started. And I think people just were, that was not the thing that they wanted to be yeah, watching right at that. Too dark. You know, exactly. <laughs> well, see, I always take comfort if it's dark. I like to see something even darker so that it makes me feel better. Yeah. Well, then you should watch <laughs> Station Eleven. Okay. Which is, which is also, I think, on HBO right now. It's it's beautiful and it's great, but it's it's takes place in a world where a uh, flu has killed like a half of the world's population. So... It it, okay. it ends upliftingly. Um, it's about a, a theater troupe that kind of travels around in this dystopian landscape, but it's really good. But it's it's tough going sometimes. All right, look at you, Michael, plugging somebody else's show, man. <laughs> what a what a fucking mensch. <laughs> yes, good stuff. Man, it's been so great having you on the podcast, Michael. I'm so glad this is so lovely, and 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 you, Jonathan. It's uh, what a pleasure. Oh, it's great. I'm glad it's so good to do it again, yeah. and especially from this angle, not to be the, the total subject. Sure. Yeah. 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 Somebody somebody texted me actually. DC Harbold. He said, uh, um, "Hey, you know, you should be the the guest on your show." Ooh, that would be really interesting. I, I talk so much already. <laughs> do, we, do we really need more, Renee? <laughs> oh, you know, I, I, I'd love to do it. I'll interview you. It'd be hilarious. Okay. On, All right. on the Trouble Men podcast, yeah, we'll get a third. Okay, maybe the next Feral Zone podcast will turn the tables yeah, on. Yeah, you, you should have me and Matt McMurray interview you. Wow. Oh, I would, McMurray, too. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> I, would, I would definitely turn in for that one. That sounds like a, a good cop, bad cop routine. <laughs> yeah, but who's who? Well, uh, can't, can't you tell me? <laughs> no, I guess if you throw me in there, yeah, it could be a, you know, a, whole, a whole little spinning triangle there. That, that does sound intriguing. All right. Uh, you heard it here first, yeah. folks. Okay, all right. I, well, you know, we, we get some of our best ideas on the podcast, and then, then yeah. they, they manifest. Yeah. <laughs> Well, anyway, thank you guys so much for doing this, uh, and uh, we're going to wrap it up. And uh, as always, in the feral zone of the Trouble Men podcast, we like to say, trouble never ends, but the struggle continues. Good night. Put your face in someone's
said, baby, you heard the news as far as the eyes can see. Now foreigners are coming in and doing their jobs for half of what they would have paid me. You mean half of what you would have paid for something you never done? Sounds like the bright side to all of this, Jimmy. You ask and price went up. Get downtown, see what you can find. Put your Yeah.